Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'm going to pause there. And, uh, my friends, the children have all gone, so let's begin and ask ourselves this question. How would you answer if someone asked, what's it like being a Christian? If someone asked you that in Grays or if someone asked you that in Dagnum, how would you answer? Now, I'm preaching a very small sermon tonight from Jesus' mountainous sermon, uh, sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount, preached on the mountain certainly, but mountainous because he says very big things in it. And the whole sermon answers the question, what's it like? By saying that becoming a Christian is like becoming a brand new person. And that's in chapters 5 to 7, but within that, in chapter 6, Jesus, with the best dad in the universe, invites us to come and join his family. Come and pray to my father as your father, and then you get the Lord's Prayer. 
And in the bit we've just read, is Jesus helping us to stay in the family. What's it like being a Christian? It's coming into the family, God as your father. And then, that's the first part of chapter 6, and then the second part of chapter 6, our section tonight, Jesus helps us to stay in the family. And it's necessary, look, imagine a happy family with parents who love their kids, giving them everything, and then one goes off to a friend's house for meals, and uh, that becomes regular, and after a while, he doesn't like the food at home. And he begins to stay on for sleepovers, and stays there, and soon his values and phrases come from the new family. And he soon doesn't trust that his dad loves him and wants the best for him. He says, my friend's, my friend's dad lets me play with fireworks, but you hate me. Now, here's the problem. At this point, there's a danger he may leave the best dad. And so this bit is written to help us to know what to do if, uh, in this case, money invites us to his house for the night. And Jesus helps us to stay with the Father when money house invites us to stay there. And we have to stay with the Father either if we're rich or if we are poor. I think those are the two uh, little mini-sections that are there in our little passage. Because first, let's look at the rich in verses 19 to 24. Uh, I say that they're rich because they're the ones who've got the treasure. Yes, they fail the moth, rust and thief test, but that's the treasure that they've got for uh, the danger to be uh, spelt out. And you can imagine it, can't you? The rich person hangs up the expensive suit and then the moth comes along, has a few nibbles, looks up and says, See? Ah, says the communist in response to this. I told you how laying up treasure was bad. But in verse 20, Jesus isn't too uncomfortable with the kind of capitalist desire to lay out for your treasure, but says, lay out for yourselves treasure, because he says, lay out for yourselves treasure. It's good to want treasure, but make sure you get the right financial advice and get the best treasure. That's what he's saying. Because our problem is we listen to bad brokers. We put our money into short-term benefits that then get eaten up by moths or rusted or stolen. And the first thing a broker asks, if you say you've got some money and you want to invest it, is... When do you want to cash it in? Because if you don't want to touch that money for years, then a long-term investment will attract better rates. But if you want to keep it for a month, you put it, probably put it in a deposit account to the bank, but you get next to nothing. And inflation can be a, a, a moth too. And it's heartbreaking if you lose your investment early. Remember... Uh, Robert Maxwell, uh, he was a very clever thief who, in the end, uh, stole people's pensions. They'd given him his uh, pension money and he uh, spent it. And he was a very clever thief. And everyone was left miserable. Can you just imagine the 
uh, different conversations that went on in people's homes when they realised they'd been fleeced. But that's nothing compared to the sound made by billions in hell who look back and see they've invested in their lives, but only for short-term benefit. Who'd say something like, everyone told me my money would look after me, and now I'm ruined. So don't do short-term. Do window shopping with, on wealth with new eyes. Uh, Deb and I went to the Burley Horse Trials uh, last year because we love three things. We love horses, we love Land Rovers, and we love the high-quality clothes. And you get lots of little shops setting up on the field that uh, the trials uh, happen on. And what Jesus wants us to have is filters on our eyes so that we see that the Land Rovers are rusty, the clothes are all tattered, but uh, you notice here he doesn't say anything bad about horses. You can still love them. And the reason why we need to put these filters on is because of danger of verse 21. We leave the father's home. We think that uh, money's house is better and we'll go off and live there and we lose the best dad. Now, actually, verse 21 tells us that wanting short-term treasure doesn't even help us now because it tells us that our hearts get changed in the here and now, not just the future. It's like our hearts are skewed. And that's very interesting, is it? Because it shows that our behavior, what we do, or what we, where we take and put things, uh, our behavior can change our hearts. It's not that it's just the other way around, where only if, we are, if our hearts are affected, then they'll change our behavior. But this also tells us that behavior can change the heart and put in a certain place. And those reasons for uh, the life change that we have now for the worse, I explained in the next few verses. First, we stop seeing clearly in verses 22 and 23. Uh, you get the eye and the lamp and it becomes cloudy. Because how you see things changes your life and our lights are if you'd like like little squidgy lamps with rechargeable batteries and they're working well if they look forward to uh, the father and a future with him and we'd love to stay in the family house but they go cloudy if you turn and look at other things and what happens is your life follows the direction of travel that your eyes are looking at so I remember when Debbie and I got engaged, we took Debbie's mother to um, queue for a cycle ride along the Thames towards Richmond. And uh, Debbie and I uh, liked each other quite a lot. Uh, and we therefore made the mistake of trying to kiss each other while we were cycling. And as soon as we took our eyes off the towpath in front of us and looked at each other, well, you can guess what happened, can't you, when we uh, tried to get kissing and the handlebars entangled and there we were heap on the floor and I remember looking at uh, her mother and um, seeing how very clearly uh, she must have wished that her daughter would not marry into this particular gene pool uh, because you look at uh, money and you crash you look in a certain direction you travel towards it and you crash 
And the other reason why we start making bad mistakes now, not just uh, wait for the future, is verse 24, where we, Jesus warns of the second master. Uh, and he says uh, in uh, chapter 6, verse 25, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. That's interesting, is the second master is money. You'd expect Jesus to say the second master could be the devil. But if God's not your master, then the second master will be money. And the devil will master you through money. Which is really important for us to understand because the prosperity gospel says we can love both God and mammon. There's no clash. But Jesus says they are opposite loves. And Jesus, remember, is speaking to believers about these two masters. And the fear is that we will leave the Father's house because money house offers us more. And that happens, doesn't it, in practice? With those who would call themselves Christians, time with the Father's children and their church gets eroded by the offer of an extra shift as we gradually move down the road, still thinking we're Christians and that we're only going to do it for a short time to save up. The trouble is you can't get a temporary job with the second master. And so verse 24 is very interesting because it, I think, helps us um, understand verse 23. If the light is in you is darkness, the darkness is great, says Jesus. To say that we want the Father, uh, still lit up in that desire, but while wanting money, well, that will lead us away, but we're still thinking that the lights are on. Now remember again, Jesus is talking to Christians, those he shares the Heavenly Father with in the first part of this chapter. And he says, you can't serve God and mammon. And he says, the best treasure you can have is the best dad and a future with him. And the best treasure is to live today as his slave and not the slave of money. That's the danger for the rich. Now let's look at the danger for the poor. Because verse 25 onwards is about worry. And you only worry when you don't have enough to eat or wear. And that seems to be what Jesus is addressing. Because poverty can take us away from the family home. So Jesus says, choose my dad rather than worry. Now, we live in a different age. You might say the years have gone by and things are changed. Just this last Christmas, we've only finished with it, will tell us that the important things that people have had over this season are food, drink and clothes. Largely what the presents have been about. And it's what the ads will tell us life is about all year. So Jesus says, do three things. One, go bird watching in verse 26. See, birds are not clever farmers. Uh, it tells us that uh, they... Uh, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. 
and yet there are thousands of them flying around, happily sufficient. And you and I won't go through a day without seeing a bird, and everybody's out to tell us that the Father has experience with food. We passed a bush today on the way to visit homes in our area, and this bush was unbelievably full of sparrows uh, squeaking away. And as we passed, I told it later, look, those birds are telling us something. You see what they're telling us tonight. And what they're telling us is the Father has experience with food. Trust him. We do. And you can tell the Father's got experience with food every time you see a bird, and especially if they drop on you. They're well fed. So the invitation is not to worry, but to watch and see how God looks after you. Why, verse 27, uh, let's see if we can uh, live a little bit uh, longer uh, if worry makes that difference to us. Uh, Because actually it could mean, if you look at uh, verse 27, and you see right at the end is a little one, you track it down the bottom of the page, he talks about a cubit. Now a cubit is the length between your elbow and the tip of your finger and it's a height measurement and so therefore this verse could be uh, written up as see if it can make you taller now let's see if it works all of us okay think of something that worries you and i'm going to give you a few seconds to really worry about the thing that worries you okay ready to start okay start really concentrate and worry okay stop Now I look around and see, has anyone grown taller? And it doesn't make a difference, does it? And Jesus is right. Or look at verse 28, go to the flower shop. Now, consider the lilies of the field, he says. Well, consider them. They come out okay, don't they? Now, Solomon, the king, the richest king in the Bible... Uh, he did well for himself and he certainly spent a lot of money looking good for all his wives because they would all have told him that they preferred that particular suit to that one and yet he wasn't a match God's a better fashion designer he's been designing and dressing flowers since the world started and so they're better than anything that Solomon ever wore or anything that is worn on the catwalks today. And he does that for flowers and grass that are here today and gone tomorrow. That's why they're not all that important. And I keep telling my wife that that's the reason why flowers are um, not worth getting if she wants me to get them. But there you are, I've got a Bible verse now to take into the argument with me. But more seriously, the Father knows what you need and he won't mock your prayer for daily bread in chapter 6, verse 4. He will look after you. Look at the birds. You can't change. And look at the flowers. Now, can you just imagine... Um, the street kid who is there and he never expects to be picked up after school 
he's always on the streets he hates going home and after a while the social workers get involved and they find he's actually got uh, a great dad at home and a great family that uh, provide for him so all the thing about his dad not liking him and not wanting to go home it's all in his head he's anxious because he doesn't see his father rightly he doesn't expect the father to look after him but he does and actually often in our case the father does that through the family of Christians when we need something and remember how Peter told Jesus how they'd left everything to follow him and Jesus tells Peter yes but haven't you gained fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and fields and farms and you've gained so much more than you've ever given up because he looks after you through his family now that was said just after Jesus told a rich man to give up everything and follow him now it may have been that that particular rich man was unique he had a love for his money that uh, was just all consuming for him so Jesus asked him to leave it he's not asking everyone to do that I suppose you could say that's a bit like uh, the alcoholic he may permanently need to go without a drink but not everyone has to stop drinking he just has that particular problem that requires that particular answer but I guess it's still worth asking is it could Jesus actually say that to you give up everything and follow me what would you do if he did and what if he said to you okay you don't have to give up everything that was just for the the rich man but give up 10% would you or would you listen to your mate money telling you not to listen to your heavenly father because frankly you need to look after yourself keep everything you've got now what Jesus says in verse 33 is not to worry about uh, the father to trust uh, about uh, pleasing money trust the father and live to please him make that the biggest worry that you've got he'll rescue you from every other worry that you might have all the literal negative destructive worries will be uh, evaporated if you have the big worry of wanting to please your father and him alone and that grips the heart and fills it with love and the idea about not worrying tomorrow is an interesting one isn't it uh, because in verse 34 uh, that the days are trouble be sufficient for the day because tomorrow's got worries of its own it sounds a bit like okay let's postpone the worry you don't have to worry until he gets to tomorrow but this is not really an invitation to worry on another day is it because Jesus is saying don't worry at all and put like this you can see how it could be saying that because tomorrow in one sense never comes it becomes today and today is the day you don't worry rather than okay tomorrow's come now I'll get worried again no tomorrow's now today and today's the day you don't worry so well the trouble isn't worried about even today and so if worry is for tomorrow we're, we're free because it's always going to be today 
but we might need to do some planning today, but we don't need to do any worrying today. And today probably is true that you don't worry. If I asked you tonight, is there anything that's worrying you right now about the rest of today? You'd probably turn around and say, no, unless you've got a dental appointment after the service. And even then there is a difference in the world between facing problems with worry and facing them knowing that you can trust the best dad. Now, let me end by thinking of three different people, maybe groups of people, who might take home different things. First, if you aren't Christian and you're new to these things, can you see that saying that you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't have a God. Shall I say that again? Uh, saying you don't believe in God doesn't mean you don't have a God. There's a lady who I uh, spoke to on the doorstep today and uh, she said this is something that she's just not interested in uh, and she's got no interest in God. And the answer is actually uh, she does have a God because in the end, um, although she might think that her life is about other things, uh, this is essentially what um, she's a survivor and she just needs to look after herself and this is one area, a big area in which she seeks to do that. And so it is just important, isn't it, that we need to understand that money is the second God if God isn't our God and that it won't look after us in this life because it skews our vision it takes us uh, into crashes because our eyes uh, our lives follow what we're looking at but equally it's true that in the future our lives will crash because we've just bought short term and it's important isn't it that we leave that way of thinking and come into the father's house so that we may trust him, love him, see all he's given us, use our money to please him as a way of freeing ourselves from serving uh, the second God that we've uh, otherwise uh, had in the past as we trust him to look after us. If you're a new Christian, uh, the freedom from the second God is to love, trust and follow uh, the real God. Secondly, if you've been to church lost, can you see how Jesus warns how people can think they've got the lights on, but yet be in bigger darkness than anybody else? It is possible, isn't it, to use God to serve money rather than to serve God in the way that you use money. So easy to be a church attender and to think that God is... Uh, the one who will give you uh, the things that you need rather than the God you serve with the things that you have. And lastly, if you are a real believer, well, look, friends, would you continue to keep loving the best dad and seeing that he is brilliant at caring for birds and flowers, but most of all, you, because you are really special to him? Will you train your 
eyes to have the little filters on that see rusty cars and tattered clothes and use those eyes to look into the future so that you keep traveling your life towards it when you worry will you ask yourself why have i got my dad so wrong that i'm worrying about this what's he done to make me doubt him will you make life all about staying with him and would you make it your biggest worry to please him so that all the other little worries that are so paralyzing then begin to fade away let's pray that that is how we look at our lives that our biggest worry may be the worry that liberates us to live for Christ rather than paralyzes us to be concerned about everything else. Let's pray.